This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is Carlos Rivero, Chief Data Officer for the Commonwealth of Virginia. Welcome to Ask the CIO SLED edition, our state and local program. Carlos, it's great to have you on the air. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. First, tell us about the current situation uh, in the Commonwealth of Virginia in terms of the pandemic. I read where your boss, Governor Dorothy, reported a new low in infections this week. That's welcome news, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we've made a lot of progress uh, since the beginning of the pandemic response to make sure that you know we're providing all of the right supplies to our healthcare systems and making sure that they're not overwhelmed with supply shortages and, and not being able to provide um, the right protective equipment to uh, healthcare providers. In addition to that, we're also been monitoring the percent positive rates for all the different types of testing we're conducting, not just PCR testing, but also serology and antigen testing and looking at that holistically across the board, but also monitoring our healthcare system itself for the number of beds that are being used by the variety of different hospitals and institutions and those in use for COVID-19 patients uh, directly, ventilators, um, as well as ICU. Uh, So just looking more holistically at what is the state of our our system, right? Our healthcare system, our logistics and supply system um, to be able to address uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And fortunately for us, over the past uh, month or so, three to four weeks, we have seen those numbers uh, steadily decline and and look much more positive uh, than when we first started. So that's, that's great news. Great news. Well, let's go into our discussion here. Let's talk about your background and in, in your career prior to your appointment. So I originally started, well, I graduated from Florida International University with a degree in a bachelor's degree in environmental studies, uh, but primarily focused on marine ecology, systems ecology. Uh, that was a great passion of mine. Uh, way back when, and, and still is uh, to some extent, especially coral reefs and nearshore marine environments like seagrass beds. Um, but those, those environments are very difficult to work in. And when you're trying to manage uh, large-scale marine ecosystems like that, you really need to utilize a lot of data, um, generate work with a lot of different types of modeling techniques, and be able to visualize um, the spatial dynamics associated with those different environments. And so that kind of led me to a position with the University of Miami as a research associate working in uh, their GIS environment and standing up their uh, geographic information systems environment to facilitate large-scale analytics on marine ecosystems like Biscayne Bay, Florida Bay, and Tampa Bay. And I was there for about seven years uh, building models, integrating models, um, working with a lot of spatial data, doing a lot of data integration, you know, most of it obviously by hand because we didn't have a whole lot of data automation back in the, in the mid-90s in the science realm. You know, did that for about seven years and then finally went over to NOAA Fisheries where um, I continued doing that same work, but more in the scientific computing realm. And the same types of work in terms of modeling, you know, large-scale marine ecosystems, but now looking at more, you know, highly migratory species, uh, looking at more oceanic systems, um, you know, things of that nature. And, um, and not just, you know, localized, uh, you know, geographically speaking, population dynamics and things like that. So I did that for about 15 years. And and in that progression, there was quite a bit of evolution from uh, the science 
and, and, and the application of, of data analytics to just science problems to more large-scale enterprise thinking around how do we better leverage our data assets in a more uh, communal way. And especially when, you, when you're talking about a scientific organization that you know, is, is very divergent in, in the types of things that we work on and the scientists are, are very specialized, you know, how do you bring that community together and be able to share data more effectively, especially when you operate in a publish or perish environment where you know, you, people tend to hold on to these data assets a little bit longer than they should. Um, sure. So being able to, to pry those data assets from their you know, cold fingers um, to be able to make that an enterprise asset was quite a bit of a challenge, but it did give me a lot of background and tools that I've been able to use to uh, persuade people to think about the larger context and the larger picture of how sharing our data assets collectively makes the organization smarter and provides better outcomes for the stakeholders that we serve. And I certainly understand your use of the word pry for getting those assets out of some hands. And we're going to talk about that. The genesis of the program in the Commonwealth of Virginia was your data commission. Why, why was that created? Did the opioid crisis have something to do with it or was it some other catalyst? Well, so I, I would definitely say the opioid uh, crisis did have a role to play in the creation of the Data Sharing and Analytics Advisory Committee. But even predating that, it was really the legislature during the 2018 General Assembly from uh, Senate Bill 580 that actually not just amended the Government Data Collection and Dissemination Practices Act to include my position, but also the creation of the Data Sharing and Analytics Advisory Committee and also focusing our efforts on an initial project that is primarily concentrated on the opioid crisis. So it's almost like all these things came together and this was the result, is being able to look at the data assets that we have collectively and be able to point them towards a problem that we're all trying to solve uh, that's been very difficult to deal with. Now, was the commission uh, comprised of government and private sector, or was it just uh, within the uh, within public sector? No, it was, it was both. So um, we had not just uh, public sector for, uh, example, you know, secretaries of administration, secretary of commerce and trade, secretary of public safety and homeland security, secretary of health and human resources. We also had a couple of senators and some delegates uh, that were identified as, you know, being part of the, the advisory committee, but we also had a member of the Northern Virginia Technology Council as a regional uh, member of the, of the committee providing that input. But in addition to that, we also had representatives from the Virginia Municipal League. We also had Virginia Association of Counties, as well as a representative from uh, an institution of higher education. In this case, this was Arlen Burgess from University of Virginia. And we also had a public citizen with data security expertise on the committee as well. Was the primary uh, result of the commission, was it the uh, creation of the uh, chief data officer or were there other uh, findings and recommendations when, when they were done? So the, the primary purpose of the commission was not just to execute that pilot project and see it to completion and evaluate the use or the validity of uh, data sharing to address multidisciplinary complex problems, but it was also to submit a report to the governor of the General Assembly for a permanent governance structure of our data assets. So create that data governance framework for the Commonwealth was, in my opinion, one of the critical uh, priorities for the Data Sharing and Analytics Advisory Committee. Mm -hmm. And obviously that resulted in your appointment. Tell us about that. How did that work? Was it the uh, 
proverbial nationwide search that we hear about, or was there some other process? I actually believe there was a nationwide search. Um, before this appointment, I really had no uh, political ties whatsoever in any way, shape, or form. Um, I was a federal government employee working at the U.S. Department of Transportation as the chief data officer for the Federal Transit Administration. And um, one of my colleagues uh, mentioned that there was an opportunity in Virginia, um, and if I was interested in it, that they would help uh, you know, make the connection. And so uh, that's how the conversation started. And um, a few uh, days later, I had a phone conversation uh, with uh, Secretary Connor and then uh, a face-to-face -face interview, and uh, the rest is history, as we say. And uh, Connor is what agency within the state? She is the Secretary of Administration, so I report directly to uh, Secretary okay. Connor, and okay. uh, she reports to the governor as a member of the governor's cabinet. Well, the chief data officer has been a, one of the, it's one of the, the newer models, governance models around the country, probably uh, three or four years, maybe, maybe a little longer than that. Uh, and it, the role and the, uh, the organization of it has certainly been involving. In fact, uh, I spoke with Barbara Cohn, who you might have known. She was the first chief data officer for New York State about five or six, well, four or five years ago, I guess. I also just noticed in the uh, Federal News Network uh, website today that the DOD's uh, chief information officer, Dana Deasy, he was commenting on their hiring of a new CDO at the uh, Department of Defense, Dave Spurk. The office originally reported up to the chief management officer in 2018, but as part of the uh, 2020 National Defense Authorization Act, Congress moved the CDO job to the CIO's office. What's your take on where, uh, how many states have the CDO now and where they're located in, the, in their organizational bureaucracy? So I would say um, at, the C, at the state CDO network, I believe we have about 24, 25 states represented. So I think we're right about half right now. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all mixed, right? There are some that report to CIOs. There are some that report to the chief management officer, the chief performance officer. Uh, there are some that report to administration. Um, those are primarily the, the main types of mixes and a few little sprinkles here and there of, of other reporting structures or directorships in there. Um, my personal take is that the chief data officer really should report to whomever is responsible for managing the operations and performance of an organization. And in some for-profit organizations, that happens to be the chief financial officer. In some organization, it's a chief performance officer or, or uh, secretary of administration, in this case, who works on the you know, results of, well, how does that organization perform? Right? How do we measure that performance? I personally believe that data is a business asset or a mission asset. It is not a technology asset. It is something that's developed and implemented through technology, but its true value is harnessed in the mission and business of the organization. And so therefore, for me, I believe that it really should be a non-CIO uh, type of position because especially in the federal government with the, the new uh, data act that was passed last year, um, or actually the year prior, it's very difficult for a chief data officer to report on the chief information officer's compliance with the IT dashboard and some of the other federal reporting requirements if the CDO is a subordinate of the CIO, 
I see. Let me just interrupt you there. We're going to take a short break now. Our guest today is Carlos Rivero, Chief Data Officer for the Commonwealth of Virginia. You're listening to Ask the CIO SLED Edition on Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn. Welcome back to Ask the CIO SLED Edition on Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn, and my guest today is Carlos Rivero, Chief Data Officer for the Commonwealth of Virginia. Carlos, before we took a break, we were talking about the location, if you will, of the uh, chief data officer in the terms of governance. And you were saying that uh, you think it's critical that it has not just a, an IT-related, but a business uh, orientation. But elaborate a little bit on that. Sure, John. Data is a business or mission asset. And, and as I mentioned earlier, it is not, it's just because it's implemented in technology doesn't mean it's the purview of the technology um, environment of the technology organization. It really belongs to the business. And my main mission is to increase the value of those data assets over time. And so the only way you do that is by sharing it amongst a variety of different business units for them to use it within their organizations to make better operational decisions, to provide more services for their constituents, and to provide better outcomes. Technologies you know, don't do that, right? The CIO's office isn't part of that equation. We're in the CIO's office, you're implementing those technologies, you're creating the framework, you're creating the environment that facilitates the operation of the business, but you're not executing those services yourself, right? You have business units that are doing that. And therefore, in order for us to really generate value out of our data assets, we really need to put the data in the hands of the individuals that are taking those those actions. And that's why I think that the CDO really belongs in more of the business side of the house rather than in the technology side of the house. Okay. One of the challenges, whether you're a chief information officer or I think in the chief data officer's role is you're, you find yourselves having to be successful, having to work with other departments in terms of uh, gaining confidence and acceptance of what you're trying to do across various of uh, the intergovernmental levels. So, one of the things that I know that's critically important is to have uh, access to those databases. And a lot of times, for example, that uh, in the Department of Defense's case, uh, that uh, legislation that created the uh, position, it also created a legal mandate for DOT agencies to share their data with the chief data officer. Do you have anything like that in statute about your role, or is it more of a, a, a management thing, a relationship-building thing? Right now, it's a relationship-building thing. Um, we have not legislated that you know, agencies must share their data with uh, the chief data officer because there are a variety of different data types and, and data classifications uh, that are in use across the Commonwealth. So to make a blanket statement like that is very difficult because of the the variety and diversity of data assets that we have. However, all of the agencies are strongly encouraged to work with me in identifying data assets that are amenable, not just for open data, but also for sharing for very specific projects. And again, the opioid pilot project is a great example of that. COVID-19 response is another great example of that. Um, Workforce development was another great example. So as we identify different projects that are amenable for data sharing or support data sharing. And that's where a lot of the focus has been. But now we're moving more towards a more holistic view of data sharing across the Commonwealth by creating the Commonwealth of Virginia Data Trust, which is that legal framework 
that facilitates data sharing amongst agencies by clearly identifying and articulating the roles and responsibilities of each of the individual entities involved in a data sharing relationship. Carlos, tell us more about the whole issue of uh, your authority and uh, perhaps the lack of a statute that enables it, but that kind of puts more of the onus on your management style and relationship building to get your job done. Talk about that. With regards to my position specifically, like you said, I don't, I don't have authority over individual employees across the, the Commonwealth. That's, that's the purview of their executive leadership and the executive uh, branch agencies that they belong to. Um, but what I do have is, is the authority to establish business rules, guidelines, and best practices for the use of data, including uh, open data in the Commonwealth. Right? And so being able to, through my management style, encourage and persuade folks to participate in, in data sharing and creating the, the, not just the technical infrastructure, but also the legal and governance framework necessary to support confidence in an environment like this to participate in uh, data sharing. And that's where the Commonwealth Data Trust comes into play. Okay, and let me ask you this. Back when I was Chief Information Officer in California, back during the uh, year 2000 drill, and we obviously, the first thing we did was do an inventory for the various applications that needed remediation. And I think there were like a 3,000 of them, believe it or not. Is that part of your job to do an inventory of all the applications in the various databases? Is that where you start? Or uh, how do you explore this issue? So that's a great question, John. And, and yes, absolutely. We need to have an understanding of what are our data assets. We need to have a data inventory for us they'd even be able to call it an asset, right? I mean, how do you have something that's an asset that you've never inventoried and you don't know exists? So being able to have that data inventory and have that classification and that catalog of our data assets is incredibly important for being able to support data discovery across all of the different applications uh, that we have. I mean, like you said, you know, we have thousands of applications in production across the Commonwealth right now that are all generating data on a regular basis. And we can derive additional value from those data assets, but only if we know they exist. Sure, and, and that also brings up another question that we've talked about a little bit, and that is the willingness of the, uh, your partner agencies and departments to grant access to that data. One of the big stumbling blocks in that particular issue that I dealt with was back when we tried to do an analysis and really the early days of data intelligence, but trying to do analysis of fraud in Medicaid, which was Medi-Cal in California. And it was a huge program. I mean, I think it's $130 billion now in California. So it was a huge program with anywhere from 5, 10, 15, maybe more percent fraud, according to some sources, GAO and, and others. And one of the reasons we tried to get the program people to go along with the the ability to bring some organizations in to do an analysis of the program. There, re, there was terrible reluctance on the program side from the secretary down to the, you know, the department IT managers. And, and at, the, at the end of the day, it came down to the fact that, and this is the wrong word for it, but the department uh, that oversaw healthcare services there was terribly concerned about data integrity and they didn't want it publicized that their data was so poor. I mean, these are Medicaid claims, so things were, dates were missing, doctors' names were missing. There was all kinds of issues with data integrity, and it blinded them 
and uh, prohibited us from moving forward to bring in anybody to, to analyze it. Are you running into that when you're dealing with these departments? And how do you get around the fact that some people just, uh, whether it's data integrity or, you know, you got to be a deputized, you know, sheriff to see the law enforcement data. You know how it is. There's all kinds yes. of reasons why they don't have to do things. How do you address those issues? Systematically breaking down the reasons for them to say no. Um, so from the very beginning, uh, coming on board, uh, one of the first things I wanted to do is set up a permanent uh, data governance structure for uh, the Commonwealth to get those people at the table and have these conversations about sharing data and utilizing data as an asset, but also creating a Commonwealth data trust, an environment, not just a technical environment, but also a legal environment that protects the authority control of those data assets with the data, the agencies that are providing those data assets. So, you know, at the end of the day, making sure that those agencies still have authority over the data assets that they're providing into the trust. So looking at, you know, all the different components of what it takes to share data into an environment, obviously data quality is a huge one, right? And that's something that you have to iterate through, right? You're not going to fix all of, uh, all of the data quality issues in one fell swoop. It is something that you have to iterate through as you get as you identify data, you know, data issues. You then figure out what are the root causes for those issues. Is it a data governance issue because there isn't a policy that says this data must be collected in this way, and if it's not collected, these issues arise? Or is it a compliance issue? Does the policy already exist that is just not being enforced? So those are the ways that you kind of start bringing the people together, have the conversations about how do we fix these types of problems, but in a way that gives us access to the data that allows us to make the most informed decisions we can and be able to start minimizing or limiting those barriers to entry. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what's happening is, is people are just utilizing those, I don't want to say excuses, but, you know, rationale, for lack of a better word, to say, no, I, I can't share my data, when the reality is more often than not, they can share their data and being able to remove those obstacles and create an environment of trust and respect amongst all the, the, the partners, um, allows that. Well, uh, very interesting. Carlos, with that, we're going to have to conclude our program today. I want to thank our guest, Carlos Rivero, Chief Data Officer for the Commonwealth of Virginia. Carlos, thanks for taking the time to be with us. And say hello to your CIO, Nelson Moe, for me. Will do, John. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening. Content from this state and local program, which also includes curated news, and original articles by yours truly and other more esteemed authors is part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. Hope you can join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You've been listening to Ask the CIO, SLED edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.